All right, so hey, if you're new with us this week, uh, we are in the middle of a really short series on the book of Matthew. Uh, And this morning we're finishing Matthew chapter 8, where for the whole chapter we've been kind of keying in on who Jesus is. In particular, we've seen Jesus express his authority over literally everything that he encounters. And in this this section, uh, we're going to see him interact with two demon-possessed men. Uh, But the gist of the message isn't necessarily about that. The story this morning for us is more, what do we value as a people? Uh, So one of my favorite shows to watch on TV is called Shark Tank. Uh, So if you've never seen Shark Tank, it's a show on like CNBC where business owners are just entrepreneurs. Uh, They take their product ideas and then they pitch it to multimillionaire investors who can bring their business to the next level. And it's always funny if you watch the show, uh, there's these two sliding doors and someone comes out of the sliding doors, the business owner, they they have like some product, they come out, they stand before the sharks, the the rich people who are going to invest in their business, they give their pitch and then they, they tell the sharks, this is how much money I'm seeking. Uh, And so here's how it typically works. Somebody has this obscure like niche or niche or however you say that word product asking for like $500,000 for 5% ownership stake in this company I have. Almost every time the shark's eyebrows are just kind of like looking and you'll see them get their pens out. They write down on their pads of paper. They're doing the math. They're thinking, you want me to buy 5% of your company for $500,000. This means that that person is valuating their product or their company at $10 million. And then what do we hear? Every single time the shark tells the person, I don't agree with your valuation. Uh, What happens is the person pitching the product or the service values that product or service more than anybody else. They have an improper valuation on their product. And this morning, we're going to see that spiritually, we kind of do the same thing. We don't have a product per se, uh, but all of the things in our lives, if you just look from 30,000 feet, all the things that we put our value on, uh, a lot of times we seem to miss out on the most important thing. Uh, So we got a lot of work to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 8. And while you do that, I'm going to open us in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, I thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you for who you are. Uh, God, I thank you for your word. So as we open that and uh, look at another amazing story of what Jesus did, um, God, I pray that you open our hearts and minds for what you would have for us. Uh, Just let me preach and hear you while I'm preaching. In your name I pray, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 28. Uh, Matthew tells us, And when he came to the other side, that's Jesus, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. Uh, So remember, Jesus has been on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he takes about a six-mile journey through the Sea of Galilee. And in the meantime, if you missed last week, he's on a boat going through the Sea of Galilee. A huge storm pops up. Uh, Jesus is taking a nap on the boat. He gets up. He tells the disciples they have weak faith, and then he calms the storm. Uh, So that brings us to our text this morning. Uh, The boat has now reached shore. And that's what Matthew means by he went to the other side. He's going to the other side of the lake, and now they're in this place called the country of the Gadarenes. There's like 400 ways to pronounce that. 
Um, but don't get caught up in where that is or anything like that. What's important to know is that Jesus took about a six-mile boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. What he did when doing that, he went from a heavy, heavy Jewish area in Capernaum to now a heavy, heavy Gentile area in the country of the Gadarenes. It's kind of like this. Uh, we don't have this in Phoenix, but if you go to some place like Los Angeles, right, uh, one minute you're like driving through downtown Los Angeles, the next minute you're in Chinatown. Uh, so a lot of cities that are more developed than here have a place like that, where a few miles apart distance-wise uh, are millions of miles apart cultural-wise. So just kind of stick that in your pocket of knowledge. That's what Jesus is going to. He's going to the country of the Gadarenes, a place that's filled with Gentiles. And if you're new to church, Gentiles are just people who aren't Jewish. So Jesus is Jewish. They're people that aren't like him. Uh, so the boat docks, Jesus and the disciples get out, and then the interesting encounter starts. Uh, Matthew tells us two demon-possessed men met him, and they came out of the tombs. And then he describes the men as so fierce that nobody would pass that way. Uh, so this takes a little bit of work on our end, right? We don't see this stuff on a daily basis. In 2023, United States of America, we're not real in tune with people who are demon-possessed. Uh, but going through the book of Matthew, this isn't going to be the last time we see Jesus encounter something like this. Uh, so these two men, Matthew tells us, they're demon-possessed. That means quite literally they had demons inside of them. Uh, so when Jesus is communicating with the demons here, it's the demons that are speaking through the men. They're speaking through the mouths of the men. It's the men are not demons. They are possessed by demons. That's very important to understand. And Matthew tells us that they're situated outside the town and they were dwelling in the tombs. Uh, so if you remember last week, I mentioned like all around the Sea of Galilee were like huge mountain ranges. And built into the sides of the mountain ranges were tombs where you would bury your family members after they died. Uh, pretty much all scholars agree that these men were not inside the tombs with the dead, but there were little chambers in the mountain that they would sit to get shade and they would sit there and yell at people all day. Uh, apparently, that's just where these guys hung out. Uh, Matthew doesn't give us any details how long they've been there, uh, how long these men have been possessed with demons. He doesn't tell us any of that. Uh, what Matthew does highlight is that they're so fierce that no one could pass that way. Uh, that word fierce literally is used to describe someone who is a menace to society, uh, someone who's exceedingly violent or hard to deal with, so hard to deal with that whatever road Jesus was on that day, people just simply would never go on that road to get to the lake. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I thought it would be a great idea to bring my family to the Diamondbacks game, uh, which is a good idea, but a bad idea was I was like, let's take the light rail. Uh, so if you don't know anything about the light rail, if you just moved here, we have this really advanced uh, railroad system here in Phoenix. It's this little train that goes from like 19th Avenue and Camelback through downtown, through the airport, and I think it goes out to like Mesa. Uh, this train goes about 20 miles per hour. I could run faster. Uh, it stops at every single red light, so it actually takes you longer to get from A to B on the light rail. So other than saving on parking, uh, I'm not sure the benefit of riding on the light rail. Uh, so if you've never been on the light rail, just take my advice. You don't need to go on it. You're not missing anything. Uh, so we get to the Diamondbacks game on the light rail. My kids, they last about six of the nine innings. And then it's like, Kristen, you ready to go home? Yes, let's go home. We walk to the westbound train, which is 3rd Street and Washington. 
My daughter, it's like nine o'clock at night. She wants to get to the choo-choo train. It's also about 162 degrees outside downtown. So three minutes later, train's not coming. We're just standing at the station. Five minutes later, it's like the train will be here in two minutes. And it's like, thank God I'm having a heat stroke. One minute later, you could see in the distance, the choo-choo train is coming toward us. My kids are excited. So what do I do as the dad? I gather my six family members, including myself, and I'm like, let's walk. Let's catch the train. We'll get to the second to last train. So we get there. It stops. The doors open, and there is a man completely passed out, like, in the doorway, like, laying across the doorway. And behind him was another man who was passed out, just like, asleep in a seat. So what happens? At that point, they're not demon-possessed, but right away, like, that's like, you do not pass. Like, I wasn't like, here, Knox, just step over this guy, right? So there's two options. I'm father bear. I'm, like, keeping my kids close. We got two options. Clearly, we can't go through that door. We can't pass that way. We can either walk back to the end of the train, or we can call an Uber, Problem is, all four of my kids are still in car seats. We don't travel around with our car seats. We can't take an Uber. So back of the train it was. I'll tell you this, all six of us are here this morning. We live to tell about it. So that's the situation in the country of the Gadarenes. There's some stuff going on on that road. You just simply don't pass that way. The road was occupied by these two men. Not just the fact that they were possessed by demons. These guys were exceedingly violent. But yet Jesus and his disciples, you don't think Jesus knows where he's at? He docks the boat after he calms the storm. And what do you know? There's an encounter with these men. Verse 29 says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So the demons see Jesus from a distance. Right away that they know that something is wrong, they ask Jesus, What have you to do with us? Literally, depending on what type of Bible, what translation of the Bible you use, they're asking Jesus, they're like, who are you? Like, why are you here? We have nothing in common. Leave us alone. What they're telling Jesus is, look, man, there's no common ground between me and you. There's no common ground between demons and Jesus. On one side, you have a demon who's full of complete darkness. And on the other side, you have getting off the boat, the light of the world. And the demons from a distance see that. They feel that. Just as much as a holy God cannot stand next to evil, the presence of evil does not like to be in the presence of good. Again, Jesus is the one with authority here. The demons can go from person to person, or we'll see in a second, they'll go from person to animal, but they cannot get into Jesus Christ because he's the one that's in complete authority and in complete control of the situation. But notice that they identify Jesus, they call him the Son of God. And this is interesting. If you remember last week, Jesus calms the storm, and the section ends with the disciples looking at Jesus and asking the question, what kind of man is this, right? In fact, we have to wait until Matthew 14 when a disciple finally calls Jesus the Son of God. But yet here, quickly, the demons know who he is. So at this point, if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, there's now two parties that clearly recognize Jesus as the Son of God. If you flip back to Matthew 4, the first person to call Jesus by that title was Satan when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted. 
Now it's a group of demons speaking through two men who seem to have some sort of special knowledge of who Jesus is. So it's clear they're evil and they know Jesus is good. So naturally they know what's in stake for them. They ask Jesus, why have you come here to torment us before the time? And this is where you can see, a lot of us don't like to get into stuff like this, but this is where you see the spiritual realm that's active in this world. The demons know where they stand. When they're face to face with Jesus Christ, they know where they stand. At the deepest level, Satan himself knows where he stands. They know that they come under the authority of God. Any control that evil has in this world is a false control. So while the demons know they can stand at these tombs and just torture the people of the town right now, they see Jesus Christ coming from a distance. They see Jesus Christ as the light of the world that has come to the world, and they know right then and there, that's the guy that's coming to put an end to our reign. Uh, when we finish this series in Matthew in like 2025, we'll eventually get to Matthew 25. And Matthew 25 is an eye-opening picture of Judgment Day. Matthew 25 tells us it's a picture of Jesus sitting on his throne at the end of all things and the nations are gathered before Jesus and he separates the nations of the world into two different groups. One group is said to be the sheep, the other group is the goats. So what does he say to the sheep, his followers? He says, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Literally, those of us in here that are Christians, those are the best words that we will ever, ever hear. But then he looks to the group at his left, to the goats, Matthew 25, 41. He will say to all those people on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And in that moment, the goats, the people who do not place their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ will be cast into outer darkness for eternity with the devil and his angels. So back to our text this morning. When the demons see Jesus, the demons are operating in a spiritual realm and they know what their eternal destiny is. And in that moment, they know that their time is up. In that moment, their fear is that Jesus is going to, be, to send them to be tormented before they think the time should come. And, and I just read that a lot this week and it just kind of stuck with me all week long as I studied that. I mean, you have demons in this situation, the actual presence of evil, and even they didn't want to enter eternal torment. Yet today, you look at the world, right? People in the world, some of you in this room today who have never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, and you just walk day after day, you live your life with a complete aloofness to the fact that you will stand before Jesus Christ and be separated to the right or to the left. And some of you are on a path to eternal torment, a place where demons don't even want to go to, yet you don't even take the time to think, am I right with Christ? Like truly, if I died today, if you don't know the answer of where you're going when you die, that's at least something that I would say you should probably explore. So Matthew transitions the scene. Now he kind of zooms out. Verse 30, he says, now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Uh, so right away, this is a cultural signal they're in Gentile territory. Remember, Jewish people, they consider pigs unclean. 
uh, touching them, eating them, raising them, whatever. If you're a Jew, you do not go around a pig. And here Matthew tells us that a herd was feeding at some distance from them. Uh, So the pigs aren't close by. They're not right next to Jesus. Jesus probably couldn't even see the pigs, but clearly the demons knew where the pigs were. So the demons who kind of already were getting the drift that Jesus is going to move with authority, they just request Jesus. They say, hey, if we're going to be cast away, can you just move us from these men to these pigs? And this is interesting. Like, knowing the culture then, you have a contrast. Matthew's trying to show us a contrast between clean and unclean things. You have demons, which are unclean. They're demonic. They're evil. That's contrasted with Jesus, who is complete perfection. Jesus is complete holiness, complete light. You have demons dwelling in the tombs of the dead. That's unclean. That's contrasted with Jesus, who we see all throughout chapter 8 has done nothing but give people life. Now you have the unclean demons who are residing in an unclean dwelling place requesting to be sent into unclean animals. And as we'll see in just a second, this is going to have damaging effects. So Jesus just kind of oddly grants their request. He says one word in this entire passage, verse 32, Jesus said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. In uh, Mark's version of the story, he said it was about 2,000 pigs. So just imagine that, 2,000 like fat, dirty animals. Uh, But at the end of the day, like you take a step back from that, it should kind of show you how serious this issue of demon possession was. Enough demonic activity in two men to fill and control 2,000 pigs. But immediately upon entering the pigs, the demons make the pigs out of control. The pigs start taking off and running off of a cliff, and then they drown in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, If you know anything about pigs, you know that they can swim if they need to. Again, they're demon-possessed pigs. They don't even swim. They die immediately. So real quick, before we get to the reaction of the herdsmen, I want to point this out because this isn't explicitly stated in the text. Uh, For the last several weeks, through Jesus healing people, different miracles that Jesus is doing, you see time after time in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus changed people's lives. Uh, It's not just their bodies. Jesus changes their spirits. Uh, For some reason, I keep going back to like when Jesus healed the leper, right? At the beginning of Matthew 8, Jesus takes this guy with leprosy, and that story in particular has stuck out to me. You have a leper who's like a complete social outcast. He's got sores all over his body. Nobody wants to touch him. Nobody wants to be around him. Uh, Think about that leper, just the despair, the loneliness that he lived with. Yet he comes to Jesus. He approaches Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and touches Jesus. Jesus touches him. His body heals. Imagine what that does to the man's spirit. He's now restored. He's now a respected member of society. He doesn't have to live on the edge of the city anymore. He can now come back and roam as he pleases. When Jesus touches him, sure, his body's healed, but his shame is lifted. So it's not just the body, it's the spirit that Jesus goes for. And that's just what Jesus does. And Matthew's been taking time all throughout the chapter to show these contrasts to us. In our passage of this morning, thousands of demons enter two men and make these two men so violent that nobody wanted to pass that way. Uh, If you read this account in Mark and Luke, they tell us that these two guys were unable to even be chained. 
they would cry out intimidating thing towards townspeople, and they would take stones and just cut their skin all day. That wasn't the men acting that way. It was the darkness that had encompassed the men who was controlling them. And then the demons, with Jesus just simply saying, go, are transferred from the men to the pigs. And immediately what happens? The pigs go nuts. They drown and they die. Again, do you see the difference between light and dark? The minute the demons move from the men to the pigs, the men are delivered from the demonic activity. Suddenly it's so clear that Jesus Christ was on earth and he didn't have to wait for the cross for him to provide deliverance to people. The minute Jesus started his ministry, captives were set free. 2,000 years later, captives are set free. So fast forward to apply this to us today. A demon possession isn't like a normal thing in our day and age, but evil is. Thing after thing, whether it's our culture and the things we see or allowance for our minds to wander, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour seeking to move you, the Christian, away from Christ and back into the realm of darkness. For the non-Christian in this room, you're not demon-possessed, but this morning you walked in here and you're full of darkness. Your sin controls you. Your sin holds you captive. But Jesus this morning is calling you to deliverance. Jesus is saying you don't have to be weighed down by your past guilt You don't have to be weighed down by your past shame. You don't have to be controlled by your deepest, darkest desires. Jesus Christ is the deliverer. And just as he did on that day, he does the same thing today. Through his death, Jesus Christ provides you life. He provides you light. He provides you a new beginning. He cleanses you from the darkness that plagues you, and he gives you a new social status. You now have the Holy Spirit living in you. So for the Christian in the room this morning, you might just need a reminder of that. The Christian who feels constantly plagued by darkness and like the enemy's always out to get you, that's simply not true. You, the Christian, as you sit in your seat today, are deeply loved by God, that same exact God that has every ounce of authority over the evil things. Jesus Christ has saved you. You've been called out of darkness and called into his glorious light. And in that moment, you are given the power of the Holy Spirit who allows your eyes to turn away from yourself or your past and turn those things to Christ. You as a Christian are given ability to walk away from darkness and walk in newness of life. That's the difference between Jesus Christ and literally everything else in this world. As John says in John 1, in Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ is the only thing that can give you life, and Jesus is the only thing that overcomes darkness. Amen? So to close, let's notice the reaction of the town. Verse 33, the herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. So the herdsmen, they see their 2,000 pigs run away and drown. They run back into the city. They told the people, hey, this guy Jesus is here. They told the people, hey, our 2,000 pigs, they're no longer here. Told the people there's going to be a bacon shortage in the next several months. Told the people, hey, those men who are out at the tombs, those guys that have been plaguing us, they've been healed. 
you can now go down that street to go down to the lake. The herdsmen went back to the town immediately and had all this news for the townspeople. But notice the reaction of the people. Matthew tells us, and behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So the whole city, the whole town comes out to meet Jesus to see what's going on here. And it says all of them begged Jesus to leave. I'd notice a couple things here. Notice a word Matthew uses. Here in verse 34, he says that the people begged Jesus to leave their region. What did the demons do in verse 31? They begged Jesus to be sent into the pigs. It's kind of crazy that both parties begged to be away from the presence of Jesus Christ. Second thing, they valued their pigs above everything else. I mean, here, the people value their pigs more than Jesus. They certainly value their pigs more than these two men who had been delivered because at the end of the day, what do the pigs represent? The pigs represent economic value. And again, this is kind of a wild thing, and we're culturally separated, but it isn't, isn't in our human nature to value all kinds of things above everything else, right? We like to put things in different spots, and a lot of stuff in our lives we elevate above Jesus Christ. Here, it's the men and the economic value that they hold on a pedestal. They're completely ignoring any sort of like spiritual value that Jesus brings, and it's not like Jesus can't get with the Gentiles. He can't reach the Gentiles, you saw just a few verses ago, he heals a servant of a Roman centurion. But in this case, it was the things of the world, not just for the herdsmen, but for the entire Gentile town. It was the things of that world that were more important than the things that actually matter. Uh, one quote I read this week kind of hit me. Uh, this guy, Paul Levertop, he said, all down, the, all down the ages, the world has been refusing Jesus because it prefers the pigs. So for the Christian that sits in here this morning, your life isn't all pigs, your life isn't all filth, but what are those areas where you choose that thing over the things of Jesus Christ? Uh, what is that thing in your life that you hold a higher value than you do Jesus Christ? A uh, good question to ask is this, what in your life, if, if it was taken from you, would leave you in complete despair? However you answer that question points to what you truly worship. So what are those things that maybe this morning you need to kind of open your hand up and relinquish control of those things? What are those sins that continue to plague you that you just can't seem to give up on? The things that you don't want to fully lay down before the cross of Jesus Christ to confess? Those things that you certainly don't want to repent of? This morning you're doing one of two things. You're either begging for Jesus to be in your life or you're silently begging for him to leave you alone. Only you know what you're doing. For the non-Christian in this room, those of you that came in here this morning and you don't identify as walking with Jesus, I'll just clearly tell you this morning that life is so much better than what you're currently doing hanging out with a bunch of pigs. This morning, Jesus is asking you to value him above all else. This morning, Jesus is getting you to see that he's the one that provides you deliverance from your sin and freedom from darkness, but you have to choose him. Maybe that's you this morning. In a moment, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. And while I pray, if that's you this morning and you clearly see that, you clearly see that your sin plagues you and you see Jesus for the Savior that he is, while I pray, just simply cry out to God. Uh, you don't need to do anything crazy. Uh, tell God, God, I want your presence in my life. 
God, today I'm choosing you. Acknowledge, God, I valued all these other things above you, and today, Lord, that comes to an end. Ask him to fill you with his presence, that you could walk in faith and understand that those things that you'll lay down at his feet this morning, he will replace those things with light and life. Hey, if you're in here this morning and you're going to pray a prayer like that for the first time, would you just let us know? There's going to be some people over there by the prayer sign on your way out, or you could find me in the lobby. But church, this morning, praise the Lord that we have Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that Jesus Christ is the deliverer. May we always, in all things that we do, choose him. But above all else, may we always see him as good. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for how awesome you are, Lord. I thank you for your word. Uh, God, I thank you for this story, uh, so culturally disconnected from things that we see on a daily basis. But God, we see so clear that you sent Jesus Christ to this earth to deliver us from everything that plagues us. Lord, the world of darkness that we're apt to run to when things get hard. Lord, the world of darkness that seems to scream louder in our head than what your word says. Uh, God, I pray that you just work in a way that you deliver people this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray for the Christians in this room that can't seem to shake particular sins. Uh, Lord, they're not bold enough to confess things before you. Lord, maybe they're not real prompt to repent of those things that continue to plague us from running the race that you ask us to run. Uh, God, I pray that they can see you as better than that thing. Uh, God, that you would deliver people from their sin. Uh, God, that there would be no shame in that, God, but your word says that you take all of our guilt and shame and you use it for your good. Uh, Lord, I pray for the people in this room that are not Christians. Lord, just in this moment, uh, the person that could simply just cry out to you, God, I need you. Lord, I don't always know exactly what that means, but in this moment, Lord, I need you. Uh, God, the way that I live, I'm laying that down before you, and I'm trusting that you know better than I do. Uh, God, if there's anybody in this room that needs that, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just impact their heart right now. Lord, that they would be able to leave darkness behind them, leave it at their seat, and walk out here in newness of life. Uh, God, we give this morning to you. Lord, not just this morning because we're gathered at church, but God, I just pray that you minister to the men and women of Salt Church. Lord, let us fall deeper in love with you. Let us see you as good. Let us highly value you more than anything we do in our lives. And God, just continue to work in and through us for your glory. Lord, make this church whatever you need it to be. And God, move people toward you. I pray all these things in your beautiful name. Amen.